Howdy, folks. You know what this is, and you know who I am, so we're just going to jump into our study of 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to start off by getting our minds around preparation. When you do something, say, for example, uh, you're going to cook, or you're going to clean, or you're going to, you, you get things ready, right? You, know, you don't jump into most things. Most things require some form of preparation. Well, when we think about the Word of God and the impact that the Word of God has on a person, preparation is a big part of that. In Mark chapter 4, 14 through 20, Jesus explains the parable of the sower, says, The sower soweth the Word, and these are they by the wayside, where the Word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they've heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some thick sixty, and some hundred. So you see here in Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower how important it is to have the right soil and to have preparation. You plant and there's stones, there's rocks. That, that thing that you've planted, in this case, the Word of God, cannot go deep enough in its rooting process to really be strong and to be able to endure and to be able to grow. Well, when we look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures teach us things about getting our hearts right. And what we're going to talk about in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 is to Christians, not just people of the world. So it's even beyond the parable of the sower. Here are people who have already obeyed the gospel. And you have to think about, just like Israel of old, when they had to come back to the Lord. Now, I'm not implying or saying that the people that Peter are writing to are in a state of apostasy, I'm not suggesting that. The text doesn't infer that. Uh, but Israel of old, just for the sake of that context, they, they're in captivity, part of, partially because they've rejected the Word of God through the prophets. So to be able... To allow the word of God to take effect, Ezekiel 18, 31 and 32, cast away from you all your transgressions where you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have new, no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. So, hey, get your heart right. Get your spirit right. Get your mind right, right? Get, you need to be ready for the word of God. In James 1.21, written to Christians who, when you read the book of James, now you can definitely say the people that James addressed were in all kinds of spiritual troubles. You see it in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. James 1.21 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So you have to be able to set aside anything that's going to prevent the word of God from taking root. You got to get your heart right. Think about what Ezra did. In Ezra 7 and verse 10, this is after the apostasy time of Ezekiel, time of restoration. Ezra, the priest, prepared his heart to seek the law of God, or law of the Lord, the text says, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. I want you to think about your heart as it relates to understanding. And how sometimes you might look at a person and you might say, they're not understanding what I'm saying to them. Why? Because their heart's not right in re respect to the gospel. In Acts chapter 28, verse 27, Paul was meeting with some Jews here in the context. He says, as he goes back to what Isaiah had prophesied, says in Acts 28, 27, the heart of this people is wax gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears, notice this, and understand with their heart and should be converted and I shall heal them. Why can't they understand? Because they have a heart problem. Not the, not, not the heart, the muscle that's beating in your chest, but the inner man problem. In Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened, 
being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So their understanding was darkened. It was prevented from seeing. Why? Because they were apart from God. They had blind hearts. The heart is important. Ezra prepared his heart and thus was capable of being a student and teacher of God's will. Now, in contrast to Ezra, King Rehoboam, in 2 Chronicles 12, 13, and 14, he strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned, for Rehoboam was one and 40 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. So as we're talking about laying aside things today in, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 in particular, we want to think about why the preparation is right. You've got to be ready to come to the Word of God. You can't just sit down and say, oh, go ahead, teach me, or I'm going to read and study. If you're not ready, it's just going to be useless. It's going to be worthless. Hear that. If you have not made the proper preparations, it is not going to take root and bear fruit in your life. Now, when we talk about the language that we're going to see in verse 1 about laying aside, we're talking about putting off or casting off, similar to what the people in Rome were told, the Christians in Rome were told in Romans 13, 12 through 14, says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding, not in drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Hey, how are you going to be ready to do the Lord's work faithfully as a steward, as a servant, as a Christian, as a saint in the kingdom of our Lord? You're going to have to cast off the works of darkness. Things from your sinful past, you can't carry them around like, hey, someday I might want to hang out with my old drunken buddy, you know, me of the past, or my old lying buddy, me of the past, or my, the adulterous me of the past, or et cetera, et cetera. Those things need to be put to death. In fact, that language, Colossians 3 5 through 10 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walk sometime, wherein ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. If we, It's very tempting to me to just go ahead into Colossians 3, 5 through 10 and break this all down and put it in the context we're talking about. Uh, but that's not our study today. I, don't you just love that? When you're studying the Word of God and you just can't help but want to dig into everything you're reading, I, I love it. The Word of God, it, wow, it's just, it's awesome to study. But what you see here, the saints in Colossae put to death those old things. Why? You know, imagine sitting down and studying the Bible. If you were an alcoholic in the past and, and you have any inclination of that still in, in your mind or body, maybe physical desires, etc., and you're reading maybe the book of Proverbs, and, and you're reading wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Who serves deceive thereby is not wise, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Or you're reading the Proverbs 23, 29 through 35 about the man that, you know, when he wakes up in the morning, seeks it yet again. The instructions not to look on, on, on wine when it's red, when it moves in the cup, uh, etc. And you're reading that, but you have not laid aside your desire for alcohol. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to start excusing things. I've heard this. I've heard people do this. Well, it says wine. It doesn't say beer. Now, why'd the person do that? Because they haven't put to death the alcoholic. So when they're reading the scriptures, they're justifying themselves 
even though they're reading the truth, they're not seeing what the Lord is having to say to them. They're not seeing passages like the alcoholic, be sober, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is walking by as a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. Be sober to them. It doesn't resonate. They, they don't hear it in the sense, and then you, they start making the excuses. Well, it's just a beer. It's an after, it calms my nerves. It does this. They're not hearing what God's saying to them because they brought the alcoholic self to the Bible. You got to put those things aside. And even when you're faithful, and, and that's plays into what we're going to talk about in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Again, not an indictment against them, but but we we who have a sinful past, we may have killed those things and buried those things and put them up, but we've got to make sure we don't let them come back. We've got to make sure we don't let them control us going forward. So when we think about what Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, not an indicting text, it's an exhorting text. It says, wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's talking about the people of faith in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Like, look to Jesus. And don't let anything slow you down. If it's a weight, take it off. Get rid of it. Set it aside. The things we're going to talk about today, like malice and guile, hypocrisy and envy, evil speakings, and what what that's going to mean is backbitings. Those are weights. Those are sinful things that slow you down. And Peter's not giving a complete list. I I hope we all understand this. When you read text uh, in the Bible where it says something is sinful or wrong or you need to stop doing, that doesn't mean that's a complete list, right? I, I hope you understand that. If you go and look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, and Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the works of the flesh that are listed there. And, and, and you know, what's really great about that particular text, just as I bring it up uh, and think about it, there's a point that's made there that makes my point better than I'm making it uh, myself, where uh, in Galatians 5, 21, after he talks about murders and drunkenness and revelings, he says, and such like. So, no, it's not a complete list. Things like this, sinful things of the flesh, carnal things. Let, before I move on, let me say this real quick. Uh, for those of you that have listened to 12 minutes and 45 seconds or so of this so far, I am exhausted as I've come to do this podcast. Uh, we're having some work done on our house. I haven't been sleeping well. Katrina and I have been bunking in the garage. Taylor's been sleeping on the couch and Trey had to stay with our brother LaRosa, and now he's 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 back in the house with us. But the house is very dusty from some work we're getting done, and I have allergy problems. And just things are quite a mess. So I might not be the sharpest uh, in this particular podcast, not saying that I'm, I'm ever sharp, but I, I definitely feel that my pencil is a little bit dull right now. Uh, so much that today as I sat down, to, before I sat down to, do this podcast, Katrina was telling me about our dog Boomer went to the uh, bathroom in his little potty area, and she's describing where it is, and I'm like, I'm just not getting it. And then I thought, oh no, I'm about to do a podcast, and I can't follow simple instructions like straight to the left. <laughs> so please bear with me and have a little grace if I say something weird or, or goofy, or I should say weirder than normal and goofier than normal. So our text... 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So again, let's remember lay aside. The principle there is to put things off, to get rid of them, right? Romans 8, 13, where if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So put to death the things that are of the flesh, that are carnal. And by the way, 
not all carnal things are sinful. You know, the marital relationship has carnal aspects to it, right? In the bedroom, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, that you must uh, do. You keep reading through 1 Corinthians 7, 31 and following, talks about how the married man cares for the things of the world that might please his wife, and vice versa. That is with the fact that you don't abuse the fashion of the world in doing those things. Food is carnal. We're hungry. I'm hungry right now. We're, we're going to eat sometime after I do this podcast um, tonight. Uh, so when when... When you look at those things, those are authorized carnal things. When we're talking about carnal in this sense, we're talking about things that are in opposition to God's will. Carnality that is not approved by God. Galatians 5.24, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So sinful things of the flesh. Going back to verses 19 through 21, and again, remembering uh, verse 21, they that do such things. Just, just keep that in mind. So we're going to run through what's listed here. Malice means ill will or desire to injure or just in general wickedness in a context about spiritual gifts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So don't be malicious, be innocent, have the innocence of a child were to be converted and become as little children, right? Matthew 18 and verse 3. In that context, they were abusing spiritual gifts, and they were turning the worship assembly into... Hey, here's an illustration most people understand. They were turning it into what Pentecostals are trying to do. Pentecostals dishonestly say they're speaking in tongues and other things because they're not. Nobody today is speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 13, 8-13. Well, in Corinth, they had that spiritual gift, and they were using it to confusion, to disruption of a worship assembly that needed to be done decently and in order. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 in that context says that. If they were to go to their innocence, they wouldn't be malicious. They wouldn't have wicked ways about they were using their spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, 31, different context, uh, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with, from you with all malice. And you see some of the things that we're talking about here listed there in Ephesians 4.31. Like, get rid of these things, right? Get rid of them. Peter will talk about 1 Peter 2.16 after obeying civil authority. He says, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. So we live under the perfect law of liberty, James 1.25 and 2.12. That law of liberty, God, our Lord Jesus Christ and His law, God our Father, gives us a lot of room, space, whereby we can choose things and do this or do that or not do this or do that. We don't want to use that liberty in an ill way, in a wicked way. So good scriptures there that give us a good idea of what we're talking about laying aside. Secondly, guile, which is craft or deceit, deceptiveness. I want you to remember how they crucified our Lord ultimately. And Mark 14, 1, after two days, the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. That word craft there is this, it's guile, right? They, they were very subtle and trick, used trickery and the way that they wanted to take Jesus and see that he would be crucified. A couple other scriptures to think about. Jesus had no guile in his mouth. We're going to get to that later in here in 1 Peter chapter 2. When we get down to verses 21 through 23, we will see, For he, even hereunto were you called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So that, that guile... Uh, that Jesus didn't have. He wasn't crafty. He wasn't deceptive. He wasn't trying to deceive people. And, and Mark 7 is translated there uh, in Mark 7, 20 through 23. He said, That which cometh out of the man, that defiled the man from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness. Notice this deceit. So we're talking about things that come from the mouth, guile, deceptive words, 
lasciviousness and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. So if you're going to lay it aside, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the parable of the sower, this is an internal issue. I need to, I need to fix that internally. It's not good enough just that I don't speak deceptive things. I need to deal with what's on the inside that's causing me to speak deceptive things, to be crafty. The next word, the third, hypocrisies. What a subject, right? (laughs) Hypocrisy, where you have the image of a parent who looks at a child and says, do as I say, not as I do. That's a hypocrite, right? Proverbs 11 verse 9, a hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall just be delivered. Think about why it's good not to be a hypocrite. You'll destroy somebody. What about hypocrites that will call something wrong while they're doing it themselves? In Matthew 7, 1 through 5, now see, people know Matthew 7 and verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. What they don't know is what that verse means because of its context. It's talking about hypocritical condemnation. Verse 2 and following, for with what judgment you judge, you should be judged, and with what measure you meet, it should be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. So hey, you're a hypocrite because you're, you're, you're saying somebody's wrong while you yourself aren't clean. You're not in a position for correcting anybody. Another one in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with our iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So people that are hypocritical liars, and in this text, they're trying to take away people's authorized liberties. So what you want is the wisdom that is from above, James 3, 13 through 17, because that wisdom that is from above is without partiality, and it's without hypocrisy, James 3 and verse 17. So look to yourself, look inside, say, hey, Am I allowing the Word of God to work in me? Am I judging people in a way that I'm condemning myself and I don't even see it? Am I destroying my neighbor? Am I trying to take away liberties? Am I saying one thing and doing another? Uh, Romans chapter 2 deals with that whole chapter. The hypocrisy of some of the Jews that thought they were teachers. And as they were teaching, they were doing the same things. Shameful. Envies. Envy is quite the subject matter. You don't want to envy somebody. Think of, of the scriptures. Just, just going to run through a few with you. Give us some insight. Proverbs 14, 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, envy, the rottenness of the bones. It destroys you. Being envious of other people is self-destruction. In fact, Proverbs 27, 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Envy can bring you down. Keep your eyes in your head, your sights in your life, upon the things that you have, the things that you possess. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words. Wherefore cometh envy. So think about that. False doctrine brings about envy, yes. He goes on, strife, railings, evil surmivings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. So put that away. Don't, Don't be envious. Don't envy things. You know, like we, we talked about just momentarily about guile and how they delivered up Jesus with that. If you go to Mark chapter 15, the next chapter, we, we looked at Mark 14, 1. Go to Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 10. It says, At the feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them, that he had made insurrection with him. And he committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done to them. But Pilate answered them, saying, 
Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Man, they wanted Jesus' authority. They wanted to follow him. <laughs> Look what they did. They killed him for it. You know, we live in a world that would have us all be envious, where people want their lives to look better than your life. You know what the great thing is? is if you focus on eternal life, nothing looks better than that. Vacation pictures and social media. People talk about how great their house is, how great their family is, how great their spouse is, how great their job. Whatever it is that you might be envious of, when you focus on eternal life, nothing on earth matters anymore because eternal life is the ultimate. So you can look at things on earth, oh, that's nice, oh, that's fine, but you don't get caught up in it. You won't get caught up in it. From envies, all evil speakings. Strong's number 2636, the definition of this word is backbitings. That's pretty significant. Paul feared when he went to Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, that he would not find them as he would, that he might find them as such as he would not. There'd be debates, envyings, rash, strifes, backbitings. There's that same Greek word there translated backbitings. Whispering, swelling, tumults. Think about it. Now, here's a subject that is greatly misunderstood. Can you talk about somebody who's not present? Now, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna illustrate it with dumb, okay? When we talk about Jesus, he's not physically in the room, is he? How about on the negative? When we talk about Judas Iscariot, who hung himself, he's not physically in the room, right? Paul, when he instructed people to be marked, Romans 16 and verse 17, who caused divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. That's a command. Verse 18 says, for, for, for such are they, and here's the significant reason why we mark these people, serve not our Lord Jesus, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That person's not going to be present when you're talking about them. Backbiting here, backbiting isn't just talking about somebody when they're not around, but to do so in a slanderous way, to do evil to somebody, not to speak truthfully about them when they're not present, but to do evil. Psalm 15, 1 through 3 Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up reproach against his neighbor. So in that context, I think you get a pretty good picture. Now, why? Why set aside malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings, otherwise known as backbitings? Why? Because carnality will keep you from doing what you need to do to get to heaven. Carnality, in the context of our lesson, prevents you from being able to grow spiritually. In fact, Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it. Now that you are now able, for you are yet carnal. For where is there is among you envying and strife and divisions? Are you not carnal and walk as men? So you put aside all these things because you can't grow in that state of being. Now, this is our transition. Laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speaking as newborn babes. He's not calling them babes. That was a negative in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, right? It was a negative. He's telling them to desire. As we go forward, we'll talk about the desire. We'll talk about the, the, the sincere milk of the word. But to want it as a newborn babe, to want the milk of the word. He's exhorting them for growth, to, to hunger and thirst. I want to give you some, some, some thoughts, you know, some viewpoints here. I want to give you a, a, a few different ones. The viewpoint of hunger and thirst, the viewpoint of innocence and humility, and the viewpoint of the first works. I, I thought of newborn babes and, and, and some scriptures that kind of correlate to how a newborn baby is, right? Well, a newborn baby hungry and thirsty. And when that baby is hungry and thirsty, wah, wah, right? Sorry, Paul, love it. <laughs> 
Sorry, Ards. We we know what that what what we have some newborn babies in the congregation here, and when when they're hungry, boy, they let mama know, daddy too. Well, Isaiah fifty five comes to mind for me because we ought to hunger and thirst for the word of God and all that it means. And there's a lot of different verses we come to because I just did a podcast uh, on loving the word of God and wanting to grow. Uh, I took a little different direction here. Isaiah 55, one through 11 says, ho, <coughs> excuse me, uh, ho, right, now I sound like that guy that people think is real on December 25th. Wait, ho, ho, ho. Oh no, here we go. I've, I've gone from Bible to stupid. Let me come back to Bible. <laughs> ho, <laughs> I can't get the giggles. Y'all know when I get tired and I am beyond tired, boy, I can, I can get the giggles. It says, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfy not? Hearken diligently unto me. Eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I've given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou callest not, and nations that knew thee shall run to thee because of the Lord thy God, for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Right? That fits into our, our, our study, right? Let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whether unto I send it. So to Israel of old, he's trying to get them to realize you're going after the temporary things. Why don't you put forth the effort to hear the word of God, the word that doesn't fail in what it's sent forth to do? And in and, and, and that context, right, setting aside those wicked thoughts, a lot of what we just got done talking about and coming to him. So the standpoint of hunger and thirst. How about innocence and humility? I'd already mentioned earlier, Matthew 18, 3, to be converted and become his little children, you should not inherit the kingdom of heaven unless, except, I mean, you be converted. Verse 4, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as grace in the kingdom of heaven. Coming the word of God as a newborn babe is hungry and thirsty, is innocent and humble, then from the standpoint of, of going back to the first fruits, sometimes we get so deep in our Bible study that we forget first principles. I don't mean that as an indictment. I, I mean that sometimes people just look down on, oh, I knew that years ago. Okay, but if you don't keep that course fresh in your mind, what you knew years ago becomes a distant memory, and it's not there eventually, right? Well, you always got to build from somewhere, and you don't want to forget where that foundation is. You bury it too deep, never find it again. Well, the saints in Ephesus, they had a problem. They were very militant, but it was a loveless marriage with the Lord. So they were told something that pertains to milk to go back to the first first works. Revelation 2, 1 through 5, under the messenger or angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, notice, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. So I just put these principles together, just thinking about as newborn babes, 
be hungry and thirsty like they are, innocent, humble like they are, and willing to take those first nutrients. And that brings us into desiring the sincere milk, right? How about the word desire? It means to long for, to pursue with love, to long after, to lust, harbor forbidden desire. Obviously, that doesn't pertain to the Word of God, but it gives you an idea. That's Thayer's Greek to English Lexicon Strong's number 1971. The Psalms talk about this. In fact, I love it when we sing this song down here in El Paso. It's based on Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Notice, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much by gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warm, and in keeping of them there is great reward. More to be desired than gold? More to be desired than gold. These saints who were being persecuted, who were scattered, are being reminded, desire the word. You remember our podcast, what was it, last Tuesday, I think, where we talked about this word desire, how it means to long, to earnestly desire. The scripture rundown, Romans 1.11, is translated as long. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, earnestly desiring. In 2 Corinthians 9.14, long after. Same thing in Philippians 1.8. Longed after, the past tense in Philippians 2.26. Desiring greatly, 1 Thessalonians 3.6, and greatly desiring, 2 Timothy 1.4. It's translated in James 4, 5 as lusteth. Wow, right? Same Greek word. Now, I think if I recall correctly, I read all those passages in that previous podcast, so I opted not to do it today. Assuming that if you listen on Sundays, you probably have listened to that one as well. Think about the word sincere. So, you know what? I missed a point. I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to talk about this in the podcast and, and, and held off and almost just blew right past it. The people of old, Israel, the Jews, under the law of Moses, a law that could not justify them, Acts 13, 38, 39. You know what is amazing to me? That I have known people that profess to be Christians in the past as well as the present that appear to have no desire to study the Word of God, alone, with brethren, etc. But the Jews, who had a law that could not justify them. In Nehemiah 8, 1-9, through 9, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street, not into comfortable seats, into the street. That was before the water gate. They're in Jerusalem, in the process of rebuilding it. They spake unto Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses. Remember Ezra? We talked about him in Ezra 7.10, right? And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear and understand upon the first day of the seventh month. Think about that. They, he brought it. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to hear it. They were interested in listening as, as you continue to read, they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly in verse 8 and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. When they realized the error of their ways, they mourned. They were told, they were told not to mourn nor weep because they were weeping when they heard the words of the Lord. You go into Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3, and the 20th and first day of this month. The children of Israel were gathered with fasting, with sackcloth and earth upon them. The seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. That's half a day. Man, 
Sometimes you can't get people that want to listen to the Word of God be read, talked about, or preached in any way for minutes, let alone a quarter part of the day. Folks, how is it that they who did not have the unsearchable riches of Christ have more interest then than people that profess to be Christians do now? Check yourself if you're one of those people. Think about it. Now, to the word sincere. Sincere means to be without guile, unmixed, unadulterated, pure, whether it's in persons, without dishonest intent, guileless. Strong's number 97, that's Thayer's definition. Uh, paraphrased. Wonderful to think about this. <laughs> There's just so many exciting things in this text. The challenge for us all to be exhorted like they were, you better desire the sincere milk of the word. What if you heard a sermon that's on first principles? Would you say, oh, I already know that. Preach something I don't know. No. Love it. Love it because it's the word of God. And I'm not saying this is teaching that. But as a babe desires, so you should desire, right? The sincere milk of the word, not saying that it's just the first principles there, but just using it as an illustration. Because I've known people that have only a certain set of subject matter or certain type of preaching that they like. If it's the word of God, you ought to love it. You ought to love it. Every word of God is pure. And that's where this word and sincere comes to be. It, it's unadulterated, right? Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield and then they put their trust in them. It's as silver tried in the furnace. In Psalm 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of, of, of earth, purified seven times. And folks, this is why the psalmist said he loved the word. He said in Psalm 119, 140, Thy word is very pure, pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I think of this. Uh, back in October, we took, uh, my family, uh, we took a, a drive just in our general region up into New Mexico, and we went on this old back road, middle of nowhere in the mountains, just kind of marveling at God's creation. And there's this town called Pie Town, New Mexico. I don't know that we hit this place at the right time. The pie was not as amazing as you would think it would be. I don't know that we got the right pie. So don't take that as a critique of the place. I'd be willing to try it again. I just don't want to drive there again. It was beautiful once. It was, it was a long drive. <laughs> not down for that a second time anytime soon. Uh, but let me tell you what. The water was awesome. It was pure water. We don't have that in El Paso, even when we filter it. It tasted great. <laughs> That's how we ought to be when we taste the Word of God. It's pure. It's unadulterated. It's wonderful. There's no dishonesty or guile in what God has to say. Wow. Desire that. Lust after that, that ye may grow thereby. Well, because we're commanded to grow. Second Peter 3.18, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. We're commanded to grow. And part of that reason is if you back up to verses 15 through 17, this is count the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to his wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of, of these things, in which some of these things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things be, before, beware, lest you all being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So you grow, so that you don't twist the word of God, so that you don't misappropriate it. You grow. And by the way, Growth in knowledge isn't just about accumulation of knowledge. It's also about the exercise of action. 
Growth manifests itself not just in how many verses of the Bible you can recite, quote, or know. In fact, that's just memory. There are a lot of people that can quote a whole lot of scriptures, but they have zero knowledge. And they have not grown. In fact, those type of people aren't even Christians. Why don't you think about the growth process? Second Peter chapter 1. I just want to read to you verses 1 through 11 and remind you that on my website, I have a whole sermon series on this. I don't remember the dates, but uh, I know you can find them on, on my website. If you, you search for, for it, you can go into uh, sermon outlines and see it there as well as the audio sermons. But here it is, 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge, notice that's the key, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall." For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So growth is not just about knowledge. It's about the application of that knowledge and growing in your Christian life. Lacking knowledge is shameful. The Corinthians, who were in error, were told in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What was shameful? That they didn't know. The context is the resurrection. There were actually Christians in Corinth, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, that were walking away from the faith of the resurrected Christ. That's the cornerstone of our faith. It's a great chapter. It's also sad to see that that can happen to Christians. How'd that happen to them? They had not grown. Going back to what we read in 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3, they did not grow. So that made them susceptible to walking away from the first principles, right? We have to be careful, though. Knowledge is awesome if it causes us to grow, and we use it to grow. And we have a working knowledge of the Word of God. Awesome. But it can be dangerous. 1 Corinthians 8.1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Knowledge, and you know, in this context, when you read in 1 Corinthians, uh, there was uh, knowledge was a spiritual gift. So, in that sense, it doesn't apply today, but in the sense that it does, we can get to know the will of God so much and grow so much that we could get puffed up. We don't want to do that. Aside from that negative point, we desire the, the, as newborn babes the sincere milk of the word, and we grow. When you have tasted the milk of the word, you know the Lord is gracious. Now that is awesome. That is wonderful, isn't it? The Lord is gracious, meaning virtuous, good, kind. Scriptures teach us this. Psalm 34, 8. I love this verse. Had to use this verse. Uh, I had forgotten about it, actually. I, I found it through uh, through searching. It says, Oh, taste. Think about that in context of our lesson. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 100, verses 3 through 5. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. We know the Lord is God. We know that he is good. We know that because we've tasted the word of God. His word directly teaches us this, right? Psalm 145, 8, 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. It's wonderful. When we study the word of God, we're reminded of this and word, but we also see it by what God has done, both spiritually and physically. And the spiritual side, Titus 3, 3, and 4, uh, Paul's writing to Titus. He says, for we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, things we got to put away, right? Hateful, hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. We don't deserve this. It's the kindness of God, the goodness of God that we have the hope of eternal life for. And then in the physical, you know, it rained a little bit here in El Paso, shockingly, uh, was more or less some sprinkles in our neighborhood so far. Well, rain comes from God. And guess what? It doesn't just rain on my house, even though I'm the only Christian on my street. Matthew 5, 45, that you may be the children of your fathers in heaven. The principle in this context is to love your enemies. He says, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Physically and spiritually, God is good to all of humanity. And yes, we who are faithful in Christ are going to be able to spend eternity in heaven. But those who are not, they're still experiencing the goodness of Christ and that he's being, and the goodness of God rather than that our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that the long-suffering of the Lord has given them the opportunity to be converted. 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not just burning this place up. Great stuff to think about. As we study the Word of God and we go through it, you think about Old Testament. Here, when we study the Old Testament as a congregation, a lot of the brethren here love that study. One of the things that you got to see is God kept His promise to Abraham. Even when the children of Israel did things that just were so frustrating to God, he kept his promise. Through that, we see he's good. He's honest. His words are pure. See how that just comes together. And the more you study the word of God, the more you see that, the more you just can't wait to be for eternity in the presence of our creator. So I'm going to leave off our study there. Our next study is going to be in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. It says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, that tells us when we talk about Jesus, and precious, ye also, as lively stones are built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed this study, and I'm looking forward to the next. Again, I apologize if I might have missed a verse or two or said something goofy in there, trying to keep my thoughts together. I know there's nothing more important than teaching the Word of God, so uh, I didn't come in here feeling like I couldn't do it, but I just know I'm not as sharp as normal. I thank you so much for listening, as always, and I, I'm not going to keep giving my phone number. and every, It's on all the podcasts, and uh, we're not getting much of a new audience, so you know who I am. Go to the website, wordstruth.net. You can contact me. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we have over a hundred of them uh, up right now, uh, but my website's always going to have things on it, and you can always contact me. I'd love to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'll say goodbye.